0: Welcome to Forge Comics.
1: Your one-stop shop for discovering more about comic book characters, stories, and general analysis of these epic tales. So join us on this journey across
2: mediums and multiverses to learn more about the amazing world of comics.
0: I'm Trey.
1: This is Jojo. And I'm Petey. Welcome back, guys we're excited for this week how are you guys doing so good what a great week
2: i don't know why but it was a good week
0: i'll do you one better i had an average week
2: that's lame no. an
1: average week pre- even if it was average you gotta at least pretend like you're excited about it why did you did expect you- it to be an average week or did you have great expectations
0: I think that's why I was average is because I woke up every day thinking it was going to be great. And when it wasn't, I felt crushed by the unattainable goal set by myself for
1: myself. So that's why
2: you just have really low expectations for everything. And then when anything good happens,
1: you're just naturally excited. See, this is okay. So we're diving into a discussion. This is this is kind of a tangent, but I, I preach that all the time to my <laughs> wife and she hates it but it, I think it, it works well for me. It really Is does. it
2: pessimistic? I don't know, but it makes you happy when things go well.
1: Yeah, and then when, I mean, when crap hits the fan, you're just like, well, I saw that coming. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so, not,
0: I don't think our readers should take that and run with it. That's That's not like good advice.
1: <laughs> I mean, it works for me. So I'm not here to own. tell people how to live their life, but
2: don't reach for the stars. Just expect the worst to happen. That's our advice
0: for today. My, my goal as a parent is to be akin to Adam Eve's parents, where I encourage my child to not <laughs> succeed, not do their best, and to always leave room for improvement, but to never actually improve. Okay, but would you rather
2: have her parents or would you rather have Omni-Man who encourages you to destroy worlds?
0: I don't know um it seems like with a little bit of gasping for air and choking on your own blood omni-man can be swayed so (laughs) he doesn't seem really that tied to his values
1: yes i agree i agree um so there was a little drop on there with our discussion today but before we get into that the the only thing that um off the top of my head that i can think of that that came out from the last week was the new Eternals trailer, which I thought was pretty cool. I know we had just talked about it before we started recording, that it it does feel like something new and fresh, so it's not giving anything away. Um, so yeah, any thoughts on on that? Have you guys seen it?
0: I love how they just I think just recently, relatively recently, confirmed that oh, I forget his name. Is it Kit Harrington? I forget that this this John Snow and rob stark they're both in it so i get them both confused as far as the actors go but i think it's it's john snow is going to be playing black knight who just seems to make really cool comic book covers so i assume that the material is good too he looks pretty awesome but again like the rest of the movie no idea what he's going to do or how the movie's going
1: to go
2: yeah i liked it i was talking to you guys earlier about this what i liked about it most was that it didn't
1: give away anything it was just a tease which i always like yeah i agree i agree um so yeah, go check that out if you guys haven't seen it yet. So this week we have a discussion on great expectations. So the the kind of the reason why we we picked this topic, I guess, is because we we see it a lot. We see it a lot in comics, we see it a lot in in other literature. And so we kind of want to take a deep dive into how this came about um, in I guess in real life situations maybe, but but obviously focusing on comic book characters and the extremes of that. So just as we had a scale last week between heroes and villains with anti-heroes sitting in the middle, um, we kind of have a scale here as well with those that may have um, been given an opportunity, like literally chosen, um, like uh, Shazam, Right. Or people that maybe um, work their way up or even people that have failed to live up to those expectations. So it'll be an interesting conversation to see where certain characters sit on this scale. So, um, PD, do you want to kind of give us a deep dive into how this was brought up and kind of became... Um, I don't really want to call it a trope, but kind of came became a theme in some comics. So just getting into this discussion of
2: expectations before we kind of talk about characters and talk about things in Canon, I always like to have a little bit of context and historical context. One of the things that we want to discuss is what brings about this idea of, of expectations and why is it so associated with comic book heroes? So, before you can talk about that, you have to understand where comics were at. Uh, in 1939, when they came about, it was very much Superman saving the day pretty easily. There really wasn't much about Clark Kent, his alter ego. It was all about Superman, the man in the cape, saving the day, beating out the bad guy, which makes sense for the time World War II, always trying to, to, to fight evil. But as time went on, that, that theme got kind of boring for people, even in the 40s and the 50s. So comic book sales were were down, and the industry was actually at a point that it was it was pretty close to failing. So, I think this is why we give Stan Lee uh, credit for so much because in most people's opinions, he and Jack Kirby are kind of the the father fathers of modern comics. Uh, they they helped save the saved the industry, and that happened with Spider-Man Amazing Fantasy issue number fifteen. Um, so it was in 1962 and basically fantastic four had just come out so that kind of helped set the stage but spider-man was a young character and instead of focusing on his his identity as spider-man they focused a lot more on peter parker which was the first time they had kind of done this in comics and so it brings about this idea of him dealing with with everyday everyday problems so knowing that spider-man was kind of the the shift to these expectations mm, Do you guys think that this was a good move or do you think they should have kind of stuck more to a general superhero story?
0: Oh, Pete, you got to make the question harder than that. I think the fact that comic books are still around answers that question. No, for real though. I mean, I'm probably beating a dead horse here complaining about the Paragon heroes and how unrelatable they are, but that's essentially what Stan Lee was keenly aware of when he did create Spider-Man and that internal struggle, and, you know, potentially our first ever anti-hero, if, if, if we are classifying Peter Parker, by definition, being an anti-hero, because he does lack some of those overwhelmingly heroic traits, like insane confidence and bravado and things like that, so I think, absolutely, I, I don't read a lot of comic books that don't involve characters who struggle a little bit and and are relatable.
1: It's interesting, as well, because, be, before that era, I would say that a lot of kids that read comics, they're just like, "Oh, when I grow up, I want to be Superman. When I grow up, I want to be, you know, Captain America." But with Spider-Man, it was just like, you were, you were in parallel with him, right? Yeah. Similar to like my generation and Harry Potter, it's just like I felt like I grew up with with him, right? The same age, and it was a lot more relatable, and I think that was kind of the the whole point behind um, writing him as a teenager is so that you, you weren't looking and saying like, Oh, when I grow up, I want to be Spider-Man. It was just like, no, like Spider-Man could be literally your best friend or. I want to be
0: Spider-Man right now.
1: (laughs) I would have loved to have been in five ten years ago.
0: (laughs) I think that's a great point, Joe. I mean, it's like it became someone that you could be in the immediate in, in, in the daily as a, as a small kid.
2: Yeah, I I think it's well deserved that Stanley saved comics. I don't think there's any hyperbole in saying that um, modern day comics have have followed suit with that even more extremely now. Um, basically, every successful hero in a successful comic has followed this to some extent. Um, even some of the Paragon heroes have had moments where they're they're more relatable, which is why you get people like me who still read some some stories about them. Um, I think another thing that's cool about this is that the industry adapted to it too. So not, they basically saw Spider-Man rising. So DC adopted it and Marvel's other characters, other writers started to adapt that too. And from then on out, it basically just comics skyrocketed. And so we started a new age of comics. We kind of came out of the golden age. We were in the mid silver age at the time. I think this changed ultimately ultimately what led to the, the Bronze Age, which happened early '70s, so we had about five years of changing from silver to to bronze, and then we we get that new new era. So that's kind of the the take that we want to go into before we we get into this discussion.
1: So we we brought up that where everybody knows that line, like even if you're not in comics, you've heard "With great power comes great responsibility." Um, that kind of ideology or that kind of thinking, where where do you think that maybe Stanley drew that inspiration from?
0: Um, I mean, I think it'd be I'd be lying if I said that one of the first things that came to mind wasn't, you know, obviously the the Christ-like sacrifice and the savior. I don't want to say savior complex, but the concept of a savior or a hero typically involves this. Well, you should do it because you have the capability, right? That's just another way of saying with great power comes with great responsibility. And that goes back. I mean, liter from a literary standpoint, I don't, I got to think it goes back to the Greek heroes and all of that. And people stepping up out of necessity and out of a sense of duty and honor. So it's a, it's a pretty old concept that, you know, I guess to put it this way, Stanley really rebranded it and made it catchy. And now we hear it all the time. Yeah. I think it's, it's
2: definitely one thing to say that he borrowed it. And I think it's the ideas were probably in place. I think it's also just a hero in general has always had that idea of, okay. I mean, even way back to Troy, we get that type of idea that, okay, I have to save the people because I have the power to do so. But I think he was the first one in my opinion that brought it to American pop culture.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it. And, and to what, to the point that Troy was, was saying, yeah, like, and I say this um, for historical context and where this this comes from, um, but the the main source that I drew this from was from from Luke, right? One of the one of the books in in the Bible, and it says, "To whom much is given, much is demanded." And I think even JFK might have used it in his inaugurational speech. So it's been used in a lot of um, big moments, and to kind of tied in with what Petey was saying is, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of the beauty of, of Stanley's creations and even something as small as this is he was able to draw this ideology or this belief system that, um, was really honorable to see in, in, in not just in literature, but people that actually could live up to that and then put it into not only a a story, but a story about a kid that could potentially, you know, um, yeah, live up to kind of that chosen one uh, trope that we that we see so often.
0: What I actually think is interesting, and why I think Miles Morales stuck so well, is I think even though Stanley came up with this obviously in what 1962, I actually think the "with great power comes great responsibility" motif really landed even better with Miles Morales. I think because. Well, very similar, you know, the lack of using their abilities led to, you know, Peter watched Uncle Ben get shot, essentially. But I think for me, it really it resonated maybe maybe because it was fresh, but I thought I thought Miles experience having the power, not feeling obligated to use it and then seeing the kind of the effects of that landed just as well, if not better what 50 years later I mean I think Miles's are pretty new maybe like 2010 2012 so pretty pretty cool that the concept itself doesn't really age or go out of style
1: yeah and I think it could be applied to various origins with obviously Peter Parker's origin and Miles Morales origin are are similar in some ways but also very very different and um we'll kind of kind of dive into that um as we discuss this further. So as we've discussed kind of where Stanley's gotten this inspiration, now we're going into what are, what generates those great expectations, whether those be characteristics or scenarios, um, I guess, life events, what, where do we, where do we see those?
0: Yeah, I think it would be easy to say that a lot of it is internal, and and it might look like that at a glance, but the reality is the majority of us, because this is not something, this is something that transcends comic books, right? We can relate to these characters because on some level, most of us feel that we are uniquely equipped to do something, we have some kind of special skill, and we have this innate desire to be special, so a lot of it is internal. But where the characters, in my opinion, get really interesting is when this pressure to be great kind of intersects from various types of pressure, various sources. And, and some of those can be parental, uh, whether it's your actual parents or t- a father, mother type figure. Um, societal, you might be a part of a society that holds you to a ridiculous standard and expects greatness from everyone, you know, like a Spartan society or the Wil society that literally, if you don't prove yourself worthy in combat, you will die. You know, then there's the internal, whether that's religious or personal or s- self-esteem, mental health, whatever that is. So with that being kind of a generalization of the different sources of pressure, there's obviously multiple different types of reactions that a character can have, and it's not necessarily black or white. They can sit somewhere on the spectrum, but but ultimately we can we can break it down to sometimes that that pressure makes a character better, makes a hero better, or it can break a character. And, and the best examples are maybe where it does both right so what are what are some examples just first start off with the softball one what are some examples of that pressure where it comes from how they respond and makes them a better character
2: yeah so when we were talking about having this discussion i was trying to think of some characters that i wanted to mention and i wanted to kind of stem away from the characters that i'm you guys are used to hearing from my mouth you know the big, the big one with the S on his chest, and the big one with the lightning bolt on his chest. I wanted to try to like str- Shazam.
0: I feel like we're yeah, watching. How do you know? <laughs> I feel like we're watching season one of Supergirl, where you have to just, generally speaking, allude <laughs> to Superman. Like, exactly. I, mean, I can't,
2: I, I can't like, actually say it.
0: They keep talking. We're like, in the MCU, it, and they name? can't say
2: the word mutant.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that's not as bad though. I mean, CW, where it's like Kara, they'd be like, "Well, wouldn't this be easier if you just called your cousin?" To- <laughs> Sorry, my cousin's is off dot. world right now. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is pathetic. <laughs> Just either say it or pretend he doesn't exist.
2: Anyways, so yeah. Um, the character that actually I was thinking of that I feel has one of the greatest pressures of anyone in comics um, is not Marvel or DC. It's technically Dark Horse. And before that, Nickelodeon. Um, it's Aang, the last avatar. Uh, when I think about characters with a lot of pressure, I think his, even above some of the great characters that we're so used to reading about, Uh, The reason for that being is it comes, we've talked about how it can come from society, internally, um, legacy, parental, all of these things, and he fits the build for all of them. So he basically, with the idea of the avatar, it's a reincarnation, and he's a reincarnation of a previous self, and he uh, basically has a responsibility to save the world at the age of 11. And so society is telling him he has to do this. Internally, he feels a great need to do so, Um, and pretty much everyone in the world is counting on him uh, to defeat the Fire Nation, and I think it stems very well from a kid's perspective to see somebody so young. Uh, I think age has a huge part in expectations. I think the characters that struggle the most with these high expectations are usually found to be in their youth. If we look at Peter Parker, Miles Morales, uh, some of these characters are usually pretty young. And I think Aang is the perfect example of this. And he uses the expectations that the world has on him. You see him break down when he's first called to be the Avatar. It's at the break of a war. And he actually runs away because he's too terrified. And that's when you kind of get the premise of the story where 100 years have passed now. And he has basically been frozen in ice because of his the Avatar state or whatever saved him. Um, but now he has to come back and save the world and you see him rise up to that pressure and those expectations now. So he's like my number one example, to be honest, over anybody else.
1: Yeah. It's actually interesting that, that you say that. Cause I'm, um, I, so I'm going to be bringing uh, other literature into this, but to kind of make that connection. Cause as you're talking, there was actually two characters that I thought of that are very, very similar. And that's uh, Frodo and Harry Potter, who were both chosen and like they, they literally had no choice. It was it was just a label slapped on them, and they had to live up to it, right? And and they were able to do it. And it will be interesting to see, um, as we talk about this, um, the various characters and how they react. Maybe their attitude towards it, if they are labeled a certain way from the get go. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do like uh, Aang's kind of uh, development of character throughout the seasons. Um, and as we're discussing, I, I, I do realize that it's actually, it is, it is very much a trope, um, as, I, as I mentioned, those two other characters.
2: So with that said, uh, one thing that I think is that you kind of brought up is, is a trope. And one of the words that I want to throw in there, um, I feel like trope has a negative connotation. And to a sense, it should. But there's another idea that we have to bring in, which is an, a literature archetype right? It's an archetype at some point for the hero to have to face some sort of obstacle that brings him into the story. Um, The invitation to be a hero is kind of what I've heard it called. I've done some research, invitation to hero. Um, You have kind of the, the barrier, the breaking of the barrier, these archetypes that you have to leave your comfort zone to become a hero. Frodo has to leave Hobbiton, right? And then you have Harry Potter has to leave the normal world, um, in comics, you have Superman leaving Smallville, you have Batman leaving Gotham, um, Spider-Man basically putting on the suit. You have all these moments and it's in that sense, the call to be a hero alone to accept that call is going to invite the expectations because you're accepting a life that it's going to be a harder life than what
0: a normal person is going to have. I like the use of the word archetype because it it is true. I mean, it's very difficult to be original this late into the game from a literature perspective. And there's obviously the idea that there's only seven or so real stories out there that you can write and all heroes come back to the same kind of core concept. And that's okay. Uh, I think there are ways for you to diversify it. And and I wouldn't go as far as to say like this in general is tropey. Because I do understand that that has a, a negative connotation. I would say it's tropey when it's so black and white. And, I, and and one of my favorite stories is a perfect example of this. I think Deku and all my relationship is super tropey, and that's Deku's whole purpose is to be a really, really tropey, white, black and white character where he contrasts with the other gray characters in the stories. There's nothing wrong with that, except I think it's very hard for me as a reader to look at Deku or All Might and say, oh, that's my favorite character. Not really, because I can't really relate to them and not it it seems like not that I can't relate to their purity. It just they almost come across as simple. Like, where's the inner struggle? Where is the balance? Where is? you never see these characters almost break. You know what I mean? And I think in order to be and this, a lot of this overlaps with the anti-hero concept. Um, I think this, the the heroes and characters that sell nowadays, they struggle more and they struggle a lot of times with what we're talking about, these various pressures. So spoilers ahead for anyone who's listening for my hero academia. uh, I did want to talk about endeavor because I think, when you talk about great expectations and and the varying degrees to which they can affect you, I think it would be impossible not to bring up Endeavor. and, And unfortunately jump pretty far ahead of, from what you guys have read, but I think you'll appreciate it in the context of this conversation. Otherwise we'll have to have another entire podcast to talk about it. But Endeavor is obviously the number two hero for the majority of the My Hero Academia run. He inevitably does become number one under circumstances that, Uh, He's not really thrilled with basically all my retires at some point, but you've got this hero who strove his entire life and is, is let's say example, a of the pressures, the pressure for him to become the number one hero was, was partially internal. It was partially societal, you know, society said power is related to success. And, and that was basically the only metric by which any hero was ever judged was how good of a hero they were and how strong they were. And he, as a result, he became obsessed with becoming the number one hero. Eventually realizing his own flaws, he begins to train his children to kind of live out his ultimate goal of being the number one hero. Uh, his methods are not great. He does that through, obviously, an arranged marriage where he marries a woman who's, whose superpower kind of complements his so that they can have children that are more powerful than both of them and are much more balanced than just his fire abilities uh, once they have her ice type ability. So the example that I really want to focus on, obviously Endeavor struggle with this. The result was him not being a great dad, being a pretty great hero though. I mean, there's nothing to slack at being number two. It's really All Might number one, Endeavor number two, and no one else is even close. And All Might or, and All Might and Endeavor really are really high high tier heroes. But the two kids that I want to talk about, Endeavor has one child who, at first, it seems like he was going to inherit his firepower and his mother's. Qu- Abilities to cool off their, her body enough to keep him from overheating. He starts training him. He softens as a dad. He becomes a better dad. And his son, Toya, the firstborn, um, all of a sudden starts to show signs of developing not in the way that he had hoped. He ends up developing kind of a weaker constitution, being built to withstand cold as opposed to being able to regulate his body and be cold. And he actually finds out that using his Fire-based powers actually becomes dangerous to him. And Endeavor gets a lot of slack in the show, but as you go on, you realize he's not an abusive father in the way that they've portrayed him. He essentially says, Okay, I, I do not want you to hurt yourself. You are not the one who's going to live out my legacy, and kind of moves on. And it's not as cutthroat as they make it seem in the earlier seasons, but ultimately he does move on to have other children who he hopes to pl- on which he hopes to place his, ho- his his dreams of being the number one hero. Ultimately, he has Shoto, who, even to his hair being split red and white down the middle, seems to have the perfect combination of of those two powers. So you've got Toya, who has been essentially cast aside the expectations of his father, of society, uh, along with the internal pressures that he feels because he was basically raised to be a hero with really no other option. His goal was to defeat All Might. He was basically raised reciting that at the dinner table. Now he has all these internal pressures. And just because his dad has said, okay, that's not your future anymore. He's not able to let that go. And the expectations essentially break him. Uh, he goes, he continues to train and continues to train. And it turns out that his firepower is actually superior to his dad's but his body can't handle it. And he kills himself in a, in a pretty tragic accident while trying to train to basically do what he thought his dad wanted him to do. I think that's an interesting, an interesting example where it can actually be harmful but the, but the story actually even takes this archetype even further. And you come to find out he actually didn't die. He becomes a super villain. So it's like the perfect example of this pressure placed on him by his father, breaking him in multiple ways, right? You spend about half the series thinking he's dead, only to find out that he's a, he's a villain that you actually know who burns off his own skin every time he uses his powers. So you kind of got the full spectrum of how can these great expectations break a character? And it breaks everyone else in the family, right? It's not just the Toya, who who is broken and, and damaged by this, but it actually tears apart their entire family. So great expectations can affect more than just the person who's placing them on their own shoulders.
1: My my question to that is, do you think, because obviously you've read the comics and, and seen the show and stuff, and I don't know how far into the show, that if, if this has this has uh come up in the show yet but anyways so my question is do you think that that derives from Endeavor's kind of tactics and his strategy as a father that that's what drove his son into becoming a villain or the pressure of him being such a great hero that his son didn't feel like he could live up to that
0: in this unique case I think his father placed this this pressure on him during his formative years and realized it was unattainable and tried to essentially withdraw or remove that pressure. So at the point where he seriously injured himself thought to be dead, that pressure was not being applied from his father anymore. So you can kind of remove that parental thing, parental source, but the damage essentially was already done, right? During his formative years, he had developed the internal pressure And now he was never going to be satisfied unless he can do what he believed to be his purpose in life. And how dangerous is that, right? As a parent, if you put these expectations on your child, you know, if one day, if you tell your kid his whole life that he was born to play football, right. And I don't know, maybe he hits the age of 15. He finishes growing and he's not a football player. You know, there, if you put too much pressure on him, he may not be able to change that view of himself and of his future and of his quote unquote destiny. And, and that can be incredibly difficult for, for anyone.
2: It's interesting that you, you bring this up because it, it does tie back to the idea of parental pressure and it reminds me again of, of two other characters in Navatar last airbender that I'm really fond of. Um, we have Zuko and Asula who are both kids of the fire Lord and it's insane because throughout the series, you see them both dealing with the pressure that their father has put on them. Zuko's been banished because he basically spoke out of turn and he's trying to earn his father's trust again. Meanwhile, Asula keeps living up to her father's expectations. But in the end, you see things switch. And in the end, you basically see Zuko say, I'm abandoning my father. I'm done trying to live up to this expectation. I'm going to go my own way and, and do what I think is right. And you see Asula continue to try to live up to the expectations. And it drives her mad. Literally, at the end of the series um, is a pretty dark series where you, dark, uh, series of events where you see her basically chained down and blowing fire out of her mouth excessively trying to escape. And it, it comes across as a very psychotic moment for her. And in the comics, you continue to see her every time you see her. Um, for the first three issues, she's, she's in a straight jacket. And so it's this idea of the, the power that a parent can have on a kid is is intense and i think for a lot of characters and a lot of a lot of viewers and villains i think a lot of it stems from from a parent uh we see it with kingpin too this idea of his parent and the pressure he put on him and his abusive relationship is ultimately what led him to become a villain so you see it across all mediums and across basically all of comics and pop culture
1: Well, it's even as you bring that up, it's even interesting to me because it's very, I think it's, it's very realistic. We see it in real life all the time. um, As far as uh, sports idols, right? As far as like Michael Jordan, um, or Tiger Woods, or all these people that their own parents may not have been famous and put that pressure but they they created and they became an icon themselves but michael jordan's kids never never really lived up to that potential um that's a good example yeah they and i i think it varies right um there's even a discussion like and i know i'm getting into sports and and a lot of listeners may may not be into sports but I, i again i go back to just thinking that it is very realistic and it is one of the most common places where we where we find these comic book um, lessons in, in real life and a lot of yeah a lot of great great players today their parents weren't weren't famous right or they weren't the best at, some of them were athletes some of them played professionally but they weren't icons right and so this idea of, it it almost depends on how much spotlight's on the parent as well and how that affects the child. And so it's not just parenting techniques, but it's also the situation. There's just so many elements that kind of go into it. And I think that's why it's so great that there are so many characters that even though they're all based on this idea of great expectations is the origins of them can can be drastically different
0: yeah and i think to tie off the sports component
1: just so people aren't worried that this is
0: going to segue into a mock draft or anything of that nature um, i do actually have a recommended anime if anybody is into sports and anime or one or the other probably the best example of this i have seen on tv is a show called major and it follows a kid over seven seasons as he grows up in japan and tries to become a baseball player he's super talented and he ultimately becomes very successful. And then the second spinoff show is about his kid who sucks. Like, he is terrible at baseball. And it's awesome. I mean, who would have thought watching a show about a bunch of, like, 11-year-olds play baseball is interesting? But, like, this dynamic of how do you live up to these expectations is fascinating. And it's really – baseball is just the medium for having that conversation. Which, which brings me to another point before we move on from the uh, Todoroki family I want to present an idea to you guys, and I, and I you guys can disagree with me. I think based on this story, right? So Endeavor fathers four children, two of which we're going to talk about: Toya and Shoto. Shoto obviously becoming a hero through some developments that we've talked about on previous podcasts. Toya becoming a villain, killing lots of people. I think as an audience, as a society, you know, in this fictional world, we would be quick to blame Endeavor for. Toya turning out bad and not give him credit for Shoto turning out a hero. What are your thoughts on that idea?
2: I think it is a lot easier to remember the bad that people cause rather than the good that people cause. So I, I see what you're saying there where it goes back to our anti-hero discussion of does one good act make a villain less villainous in the same way does one bad act make a hero less of a hero? And so it brings up that same idea of, does training um, Shoto make up for the fact that Toya turned bad? And I think what it ultimately comes down to is everyone has their choices too. So that pressure that you felt and that expectation that your parents placed on you, it's your decision to do what you want with that pressure. Uh, I think that it's a good good contrast to see two two brothers, and I think you see that too a lot in comics and in, in any story. That one goes one way and one goes the other. I mean, that's that's a a trope or a, histo- a history that you see going back to the Bible with Cain and Abel. So, of uh, basically one following the parents' way and one going a completely different direction. So, I I don't think Endeavor can be blamed for Toya without being rewarded for for
1: uh, Shoto's success. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of times we're quick to kind of judge parents. <laughs> Um, through how successful their kids are but I mean that uh, to what PD was saying that's that's not true at all right and I I would even say that I give more credit to Shoto I would put more blame on Shoto and his brother for their own actions than I would on Endeavor for for maybe his misguided or sometimes brash um, decisions as as a parent um, so I yeah I, I would take it more on that it was their their choice right through their own agency regardless of their situation um if Shoto could have if Shoto can be a hero then why couldn't his brother be a hero right regardless of of the quirks so um yeah I guess that's kind of my my take on that yeah
0: I think you guys are right you guys hit it on the head uh, with my personal opinion as well but I think while maybe not in the minority, I think it is easier and more natural to absolve the older son, in this case, Toya, of his, you know, decisions and shift the blame to Endeavor while, you know, almost put Shoto on a pedestal for making those decisions almost in spite of his dad, you know, and and I think what we've said here today is what, you know, hopefully anyone who's going to watch it going forward will keep that in mind is that endeavor as a father as a hero can only do so much and present his children with opportunities and and the way they respond internally will will essentially make make them who they are and that's the same with all these other types of pressure the legacy characters the 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 super teams the guys who don't feel worthy to be on a team or or where they live in a society where the expectations are just astronomical ultimately it comes down to you know who you are on the inside that proves whether or not you're going to get better or you're going to use them as excuses.
1: With Shoto and with his brother, it's interesting because you could almost say that they have the same drive to the point where it's like, I'm going to be the very thing that my dad hates with his older brother saying a villain. But from Shoto's perspective, it's his his other quirk, his mother's quirk. Yeah, and I think
2: going back to that idea, I think it is important We talk about the parental pressure, but that's not the the highest pressure that these heroes face, too, for a lot of them. A lot of them is going to come from that internal pressure. I think one of the biggest ones is uh, Daredevil, for example. Um, You mentioned how Shoto has this idea that he wants to become something that's going to resent his father, that's going against what his father basically wanted, which is him just using his ice powers. And I think it goes to an internal decision that he's making to do that which we see a lot again in other characters where this pressure that they felt is ultimately placed upon themselves by only them. So there's these characters. I think Miles Morales is a great example of this too, where he holds himself to very high esteem because of the power that he's given, because of the the legacy that he feels he has to carry on. Uh, I think Daredevil does this extremely well uh, to the point where it makes me anxious thinking about how much he hates himself for what he's doing. I think the, the internal pressure and the internal expectations that one sets for themselves are ultimately one of the best motivations because in the end, people can put as much pressure on you as they want, but it's you that's going to make that decision. So if a hero negates what everyone else is saying, but internally they ultimately feel like they're failing as a hero, it's going to just raise that pressure inside of them. What, what's your guys' take on that?
1: I think, yeah, with the internal, it's just rooted. I feel like it's just rooted better, as you said, because it, it has to do with their own actions. It has to do with themselves, whereas the parental, um, it's, it's almost secondary, right? They, they almost have a, to have a reason to maybe live up to that.
0: Yeah, and I think once you understand that the only thing that you can really blame them for or give them credit for is what's internal, uh, then, then it makes the the internal struggle more compelling. I will say I don't think the internal struggle is always compelling because I think a lot of times you'll find a character who puts an insane amount of pressure on themselves and it's it's hard to relate to. Uh, I hate to sound predictable, but like I think Batman is a good example of this. Like I'm not sure the pressure he puts on himself as a result of you know the source being that traumatic event. I don't know that that like equates in my mind what he kind of, how it translates, how he, you know, he wants to like, his parents died and and to honor their legacy, he basically sort of manages their business and then beats up other petty criminals, you know, like, like I, like that's one that doesn't translate for me. Whereas some of these other characters, Ang, Mark Grayson, these are all very compelling internal struggles.
2: Yeah. So I want to, bring something up that's interesting um with ang gonna get a little personal here my introduction to ang as a character was actually because at the time uh i was all my siblings had left and i was going through some like weird separation anxiety at the time i was like 10 i had been around family the whole time and i felt a lot of pressure at the house to kind of i don't know just kind of live up to my older siblings expectations honestly and i remember my counselor at the at the age of 10 she told me my homework was to go home and start watching Avatar because she wanted me to relate to a kid that had extreme expectations and how they dealt with that internal struggle. And I don't share that to talk about my, my feelings or my, my expectations, but that in the end is what these characters are gonna be used for. If we can see how characters are responding to, um, to the society, the internal struggles that they face, and we're able to take that into our lives, that's ultimately what literature can offer the world, and why it's never going to go away.
1: Good on your counselor. For, yeah. <laughs> for doing that. Here
2: I am, 15 years later,
1: still watching.
2: It. <laughs> still watching it daily per your
1: pres-
0: per your prescription. Yeah, really. And if you Jeez. miss a day, your your probation officer. <laughs> I I actually think. I don't know why I had this thought occur to me. I think characters are very interesting too when they feel like an internal pressure in another aspect of their lives and overcompensate in the hero realm. I, I can't put my finger on who I'm thinking of, but I feel like a lot of times these heroes will have, or characters in general, will have lives that are not going so great marriages or jobs or whatever. So they lean into this hobby that is sometimes is a vigilantism and it serves as a way to put off the expectations they feel in other lives in the other aspects of their lives. Because just a quick look at these this list that we've put together, the lives of these characters are sometimes just a complete disaster. I, I mean, and, and being a superhero is not going to fix any of them, right? I mean, a lot of times that's secondary, should be secondary to the families that they have or the careers that they need to have just to support those families, and yet they lean so hard into this superhero life because they think that's what makes them special. And I think maybe a tiny downside of the comic book industry is it it perpetuates this idea that in order to be special, you have to have some kind of power and you have to live some kind of grandiose life. And because on a regular basis, a lot of these superheroes have miserable personal lives and that's almost glorified. It's almost glorified because we see it so often if for no other reason to, to neglect your family, to be a superhero. We see that all the time.
2: I think the perfect example, really, really modern example is a utopian, right? This idea of, okay, I'm a, I, I'm, a I'm a bad father. I'm a not the best husband in the, the first two volumes or too good of a, of a husband. So I'm just going to go and be the hero that I can be. So there's no, there's no conversations. There's nothing along those lines. He's just doing, the hero because he knows he can do that, and you see the result of him basically abandoning everything else.
0: I feel like it's it's been like five minutes since I crapped on Batman, so I thought like this is a good time to mention that I was actually thinking specifically of him. Uh, his personal life is uh, like a dumpster fire for basically the entire continuity of Batman. Through like, does his personal life ever get better? Who did like, they- ever? Does he ever have a family besides the adopted children that he basically makes work as like soldiers?
1: Who's Damian Wayne's mom? Oh,
0: that was like from a hookup with Talia, though, right? There's nothing. There's no. There's no relationship there. I mean, think about this. Think about just think about the meme. If somebody out there wanted to say, "Trey, you're wrong. We don't glorify things like Batman and his terrible personal life over being a vigilante." Think about the meme that says, "Why be yourself?" Or be yourself unless you can be Batman. Then be Batman. Why Batman is a douche
1: <laughs> it is it is interesting that you bring him up because i mean we we crap on him all the time so sorry for those Batman fans that are just like clenching their fists and biting their lips. <laughs> you know what? At, i don't think they're the out list.
0: there and if they're out there they're not listening because we would have heard it by now
1: because we because give this, him a real controlled enough yeah that's very true but i do think but it, wait it sorry inter- really quick with that
0: said
2: We'll invite any Batman fan on this show because I want to see a debate between you two and a Batman fan. I'm I can't defend him enough because I'm too in the middle on him. So just just throw it out there. If you're a Batman
1: fan, let us know and we'll. I I do have a question uh, directed towards PD. So with with Batman, um, and all of of the Robins that he trains. Um, you could make the argument that the pressure is immense, especially because these—they're adopted, right? They're orphans. They come—they don't come from this prestigious background or anything, except for maybe Damian Wayne, obviously. But could you even argue that they they have exceeded those expectations? Yeah,
2: I for sure. One of the greatest things I—I I love. There's a Nightwing comic. Um, it's actually. It's endeared as one of the best single issues of comics, not a series, just one single issue. And it's the whole time is just basically Dick Grayson with Tim Drake. Um, and they're riding on a subway together and Dick's training him. Uh, he's kind of taking over and training on a day and he has him blindfolded and he's trying to help him get oriented in the city and how to fight bad guys basically blind. So it gives you some context. But the whole time they're just uh, talking about what it's like to be a Robin. And basically how much it sucks to be underneath the cowl and be underneath Batman's reign. And Nightwing basically tells him like, look, just hang in there. There's more to life out there. And I think the two heroes that feel it the most, Nightwing feels it. I honestly think Damian feels it. But the two Robins I think of that feel the pressure and the expectations more than the other two are um, Jason Todd and Tim Drake. The reason for that being is Damien has a direct tie to Batman being his son. And Nightwing has more of a tie because he's the first one. Whereas Jason and Tim were kind of brought in off the street. And because of that, they really don't have as many personal ties to him. They just feel like one of the other Robins. So, yeah, I think, honestly, they all exceed him. I think the whole point of the, the Robin program is to make heroes that are better than Batman. And to be honest, I think all of them are. Um, again, Batman fans can kill me for that. But I think Batman's a better trainer than he is at doing what he says he's doing.
1: And so on that list, you would include Jason Todd. Because I guess of, of all of them, he's probably the darkest, no?
2: No, yeah. He's the only one that stems more into the anti-hero role while he's willing to not be a hero. And I still think he's better than Batman because he doesn't see the world so black and white. And I'm actually reading a, a Red Hood run right now. And he's less extreme than I thought he was. Uh, When I first got introduced to the character, I thought he was more like Deadpool, where he just loves to murder people. And he's not that way. He's just more of a soldier. And he says, I'm willing. And he, I mean, he's come full swing. He definitely had his moments, but now he's sitting in the spot where I'll kill when I need to. I'm not opposed to doing it, but I'm not just going to murder people off the street. So I think he's in my regard. I think he's better than Batman, to be honest. I, and Obviously, his design, I think he's got one of the coolest designs in all of comics. Side note.
1: Well, I was going to say, <laughs> not, not that we care about Batman's opinion, but apparently he had this to say about Jason Todd, Red Hood. You're broken and I couldn't fix you. Maybe someone else can. So yeah. and this has to do with Jason Jason Todd's kind of uh, bloodlust.
2: Yeah, of... Jason Todd was a terrible Robin. He was awful.
0: Uh, he was just an, a very, very angsty. so I'm not giving him are we giving him credit for Dick Grayson becoming Nightwing and all the other characters becoming good superheroes just because they got to watch? I guess I guess he does deserve some credit. I think a full podcast could be filmed on how much credit. They,
2: they, they tra- he could train them so you got to give him some credit. It, uh, I mean, it him goes back arts.
1: It kind of goes back to that that discussion with endeavor, right that obviously there's a certain element to it. But you have to give more credit to the fact that they themselves chose yeah. what they chose. So,
0: Yeah, no, I'm not sending my kid to Batman camp.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay.
0: Yeah, you're not going to go stay with your Uncle Bruce.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. You're not going anywhere near Gotham by any means.
0: Gotham sucks, dude. I'll
2: send you to any other city, like literally any
0: other city in any universe. I just think, I just think, Ghostmaker became my hero when he just po- like Batman was like, stay out of my city. And Ghostmaker was like, I don't want to be here. This place sucks. <laughs> 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 I was like, wow, that is okay. This guy could get his own solo run. He better. I'm hoping he have- does. Huh? I'm hoping
2: he does. But I I that's a whole does. other do you-, do you remember?
0: Have you ever watched any time recently, not the George Clooney one? I want to go back one before that to Batman Forever with Val Kilmer. Do you remember how they portrayed Gotham? It was crazy. Like, just go back and watch like the opening scene where the Batmobile pulls up. It feels like like Toontown, but like they just turn neon lights on. The buildings are like trippy. Yeah, I remember that. It's horrible.
1: It's very very campy.
0: Yeah,
2: all those movies are pretty campy to be honest. The old ones. Yeah.
1: Although I don't know if the the Tim Burton one did. I didn't feel like it was too campy
2: have it you watched dark. it
1: recently well i, I mean because for, for <laughs> i tried 90s, it and i was like this I mean, is pretty I, bad if i'm putting the 90s ones in a bubble that one was probably yeah the the most well done i would say people are going to come back and be like you know for hating batman so much you guys <laughs> talk about him quite a lot <laughs> he's like the ex-girlfriend of the podcast yeah. that we've all apparently dated <laughs> I'm over him.
2: <laughs>
0: I dated him for his money.
2: <laughs> I'm over him, but let me talk a little bit more about him.
0: I, I was just in it for the money. So what about the pressures applied? We've talked a little bit about this in the past where the military kind of gets involved with let's say sponsoring a superhero. I, you know, probably thinking of Captain America, US agent Sam.
2: Yeah. Before and so.
0: after he became Captain America. So what what are your thoughts on the pressures that might come with that?
2: Yeah, I do think this is something that happens a lot more in Marvel than anything else, especially the MCU, when it seems like almost everyone is somehow related to the government. I don't feel like we get that as much in DC, um, which is interesting. I think it's an interesting play that they do in Marvel. I personally, I think the pressure that's tied to that is it's disturbing because you get characters like Captain America who swear to the flag but then when the government does something that he doesn't think is according to how the patriot should act, then it becomes very, very disturbing to figure out, okay, what do I follow? He's such and a hypocrite. It's bad. And so you get these moments where now you're supposed to be basically a dog for the government and be just a soldier who's following orders. So that pressure to it, – it, it creates a very – difficult thing to even describe because you have a character who has sworn their whole life to the government. And then the minute that government tells them to do something questionable. Now the soldier has to define if they want to do that, or if they want to basically go rogue and risk becoming AWOL as a, as a soldier. So that to me is, is hard to swallow uh, that you can have that much tie to a government that you have to do anything you can without any sense of your own agency, which is what we get in a lot of these characters. And it ultimately leads to Civil War in the Marvel Universe.
0: And something that I like about Civil War that I didn't realize was the case until obviously doing the significantly increased amount of research that we do nowadays, anytime you go to research a Marvel character, part of their bio, if they are any kind of character of any any significance, part of their bio will like specifically state where they stood during civil war. And I think that's fascinating because inevitably they all get over it and they all come back, but there's this little blurb of like solo did not register during civil war or like Peter Parker did or whatever. I don't actually remember what Peter did, even though I know he was a huge catalyst. I shouldn't have used him as an example, but I think it's very interesting. You're right. And Marvel in general, way more involved in the military than than dc does dc basically I, I, my understanding is they basically just show up to like try to tell superman what to do every once in a while and there's you know like lewis's dad is obviously involved but i mean you've even got shows and comic runs about specific shield agents who it's easy to forget our government employees so you know how much of a say do they have in what they do and don't do
1: yeah and <clears throat> kind of going back to I guess you could say popular bible quotes or phrases it's like you can't serve two masters you can't have your cake and eat it too and I think that's probably the biggest issue with these military uh uh, slash government employer heroes is as we mentioned Captain America it's just like he he just flips right so he he holds the, I guess, the American standard very, very high. But then when it doesn't match his own morality, he puts himself above that. Um, so it, it is hard to get behind, especially because when you think of the military, you think of kind of this selflessness, answering to the call. Um, but the way they're written, I don't think a lot of times doesn't come off that way. I mean, you, you have a lot of... Um, people a lot of betraying with like black widow um, and I guess you can't you can't even really rely on their loyalty to the cause um, because at times they they put themselves above above that cause so yeah
2: yeah and I think we've talked about this previous previously that the government in American comics is usually portrayed not as a bad guy but always as questionable uh, there's never really support from a superhero. You know, I never really remember moments in comics. Where I'm like, man, the government's so awesome in this moment. It's always doing something questionable, which is a reflection on how I think writers view a lot of the things in politics these days. But with that said, one thing that I will, I will say about Captain America and Civil War, I think that's a really good example to kind of tie in the military, is this idea, when I first read Civil War, it was probably five years before the MCU movie came out. And there were rumors that that was the direction they were going. And so I wanted to dive into it. And I was surprised because at the time I actually expected Captain America to just continue to be the dog and to sign, sign on and to register. And then basically just do their, do their bidding. So I was surprised to see him kind of go against that and say, Hey, no, that's, that's not okay. But now that I'm older, it's even more hypocritical because he's agreed with the government this whole time and he's done anything that they've asked this whole time. And now that they're doing something that he doesn't agree with, now he's putting himself on that pedestal again, saying I'm above the government. I'm above the government that I've served. So I, it's problematic. I think if you have issues with the government as a superhero, I think you should just be a vigilante and not try to pretend like you're a part of the government and do your own thing.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think I think if I were, if we were to have a writer for Captain America on the show, and you say, "All right, here's how we feel about Cap," kind of flipping the script on the U.S. government, I think they would probably tell us that, you know, he's a real person, and once things got went too far, he changed. But I think the problem with that is, it's not super believable. I mean, he's really is a puppet for the government for eighty five years, and is stuck in ice for some of it. But ultimately, you have a person who is. A puppet for the government and then all of a sudden this is the line that he won't cross whereas as a reader i appreciate u.s agent more because that's the flaw i expect out of a government-sponsored hero to be all in i do what the military tells me he's very one-dimensional in that in that his he lives and dies by this virtue of being loyal to a cause and i think i i, I think that's what we I don't know. It's such a touchy subject because there's so much about portraying the military in comics that can be problematic. I just don't find Captain America very relatable. And I guess maybe it comes down to more of that. He just fits in that Paragon hero element that we've talked about, and that's just not relatable for the most part. But I I do think I have a firm grasp on what someone would say in defense of Captain America. I guess in conclusion, I just don't buy it, I guess is really what it comes down to. And that's not much of an argument. I, I, I can accept that. But at least, you know, U.S. agent Black Widow, they they kind of live and die by their allegiances, which I think we need flawed heroes. And I'm OK with that. So I'm curious. Got a question for you guys. We talk about the affiliation
2: with the military and that that setting. What about an affiliation with one of the superhero teams? How, how does that play into the mix of pressure? Do you think that alleviates some of the expectations because you have people backing you up? Or on the other hand, do you guys think that it causes more pressure because now you have to live up to the expectation of the team? What do you guys think it probably does for a hero when they get put on those, on those te- types of teams?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I'm not really sure because, uh, I mean, and I'm only looking back on the, the, the movies, obviously, but and the, the few comics that we've read, but I don't know if there's much like loyalty to the cause other than, I mean, these team-ups usually happen when the circumstances call for multiple superheroes because one superhero can't handle it, right? And so it, it seems very one-dimensional as far as solving problems. So I don't know how in-depth... would go and again i'm i'm just looking back at two the examples that we've had i don't know how deep it goes and if it really even affects them i i would argue that it doesn't um it's because yeah it's just one dimensional
0: well i think if the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question pete was the idea of, of let's imagine one of those younger heroes that gets invited to be on one of these teams. And what you do is you see them put these other heroes on a pedestal. And I don't think anybody here played the Avengers game, but essentially what you have is Kamala Khan, who becomes Miss Marvel, is a huge super fan. I mean, literally, she meets the Avengers at like meet the Avengers day. I mean, and it's an interesting take, but she's got these characters on pedestals. They are They are flawless. They are unflappable. I mean, they're not. Right. I mean, we've talked about even just what's been written recently. You know, Thor has made some terrible decisions. Iron Man's a jerk. Cap, you know, obviously has his own issues, but overall is a pretty good guy. But I think when you you've got these expectations that are unrealistic, when let's look at Peter Parker in. Which one is he in uh, home? Sorry, let's look at Peter Parker in Homecoming when he's being mentored by Iron Man, right? There's this scene where Peter lets him down. He, he kind of he kind of messed up an operation, right? And the boat fell apart and he held it together and Iron Man shows up in his suit. And basically he's like, sorry, Mr. Stark. I just wanted to be like you. And Tony's like, well, I wanted you to be better. Give me the suit back. Well, think about this for a second. Peter's like 15 years old. He's already almost as good as a, of a superhero as you are you were a total screw up until like the age of like 43 right so so look at the hypocritical expectations placed on him and i would i would say this applies to like him joining the avengers and so now he's got this pressure to be iron man at the at the age you know however long it took iron man to become a great hero well somebody like peter's going to feel that pressure at a young age and it's not realistic and and then you have a flawed leader in tony stark in my opinion because that's not how you lead a young a young aspiring superhero you don't take away all the toys that you gave him when you probably shouldn't have given them to him in the first place uh, after one mistake and so i think it's i think it's interesting that they again just to conclude they put these characters on pedestals just like we all do and i think that's why it bothers me when writers don't go out of their way to show their flaws
2: yeah i think i think jojo's take is interesting because just having not read, probably hasn't, you know, any, any real Avengers, like, or just the comics. Not trying to call you out, but it's an interesting take because in the movies, that's how it's portrayed, right? Like, it's more just, oh, there's a team up because it has to be that way. And I think that's always how it starts. But then you have the idea of, like, um, uh, like Trey was mentioning with the Avenger series in the game. And you get it, too, in, in DC when there's these new characters that get put on the team. It's very much a, a mantle that they feel excited about. They feel like they've been accepted. I would put it to, to our idea. I think it would be like a freshman being put on the varsity team and playing the the homecoming game or something like that, where they feel like, oh, man, I've made it. Like, this is the big leagues. I'm, I'm there. Uh, there's a series in it's the 1990s. Grant Morrison. Um, you get two legacy characters on the on the Justice League. You get Wally West and you get Kyra Rainer. And both of them kind of gravitate toward each other and they try to like poke fun at the other guys because they don't really know how else to fit in. They, they feel like they're never going to live up to these guys that are, are so much bigger than they are. So I think that pressure on the team, I was interested to kind of get your guys' take on it because from my perspective, I think the, the aspiration to be on a team like that, to be accepted into the Avengers, be accepted into the justice league is ultimately driving them. Um, to work harder and drives them to have higher expectations for themselves. Uh, we get this to, in Young Justice, the series, uh, a great TV series, of uh, these heroes ultimately deciding, oh my gosh, some of them are 17, 18, and they're still not being accepted on the team. So they decide to go start their own team because they're tired of waiting around. So I think those expectations are definitely there. Um, but again, off of that, I think it's interesting because in in the MCU one of my biggest problems is that after the Avengers it's like okay well Thor 2 had some pretty big villains shouldn't the Avengers have come up then it's like you have all of these villains that come up and I just don't at that point with the Avengers I feel like all of them would be involved in pretty much everything because they all live in New York too so it it bugs me a little bit
0: (laughs) yeah well do you actually want them to show up because I do not no
2: I don't but it's just but they would, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> well, then again, okay, yeah, but at the same time, how much exposition do you want them to say, like, oh, hey, before every big battle, they sit down and they have a conference call, like, all right, so who's available? And Bruce is like, oh, I can't, I'm working out like in Utah and like research. And Captain Marvel's like, can't, busy, a lot of other universes that need my protection. And Thor's just like, can't, sorry, I'm still hungover. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, I agree. Fortnite with Korg. <laughs> yeah. I agree <laughs> with you conceptually, but I feel like that there's like, that's just yeah, the know. downside of having a super team. So with team,
1: team ups, we obviously have these, these characters, they all have their own origin. Um, they team up, they may have the pressure of, of, as you guys said, especially more the younger, the younger um, superheroes looking up to, to the older ones or the originals, the OGs um, and feeling that pressure. But looking whether they be young or old or the OGs or up and coming heroes, do you guys? Can you guys think of any examples where Great Expectations actually break a character in comics?
2: Yes. <laughs> um, we're, we're trying to avoid uh, talking too much about legacy characters. So Arsenal starts out as Speedy. Or Red Arrow, whatever you want to call him, and then develops into his own hero, becomes kind of one of the outlaws, but he begins to suffer with a drug addiction, uh, and it basically consumes him, and he becomes a drug addict because of the expectations and the pressure that he feels. Uh, there are times where he's able to overcome it, but for the most part, it consumes his life. Uh, he is completely consumed in the idea of trying to fight the pains that he had as a child, growing up in a world that he probably didn't belong in as a superhero. And then on the back end, now being a teenager, being a young adult and still feeling that same pressure and having experienced the drugs that he experienced for probably five to 10 years, he become the drug addict leading him to go into the sanctuary where we ultimately see him die. <laughs> and so I think that you see him slowly digress, digress, digress until he is currently in comics, uh, as far as infinite, infinite frontier goes, he's not back yet. And it's a pretty big topic with green arrow kind of hates Wally West for it. So Arsenal for me is a great example because of the fact that the expectations led him to become a drug addict and that led to his, his death, which is kind of dark.
0: I think obviously we talked a little bit earlier about Toya who become, I guess I won't say who he becomes just in case that's still somewhat of a surprise, but. I think this idea of it breaking a hero is, is interesting. There is an example. I mean, frankly, I feel like Peter B. Parker from the Spider-Verse is a great example that maybe nobody was was that's a good thinking one. of. I mean, that's just another take on Spider-Man and Peter Parker, where the pressures of not being able to balance this, the multiverses of your life led him to suck at all of them, right? and I mean, the reality is, is that life is a, is kind of, you can break your main things. You know, there's, there's obviously your mental, your well being whether that's spiritual, internal, whatever, there's your family, there's your career. And I don't know if these guys would consider the vigilante gig as their career. So I would say they probably have to add a fourth pillar onto there. And, and the reality is, is it's hard to focus on any of those at a time. It's really a balancing game, right? You have to lean into one, you know, there's time to focus on your career for a couple of years. And, and then you have to lean and make sure you're still, you know, still a good parent. And all these things so like you add another tier into that also with with the balancing issues these guys display they seem to put all their effort into the vigilante tier and it really would be difficult to balance your daily lives and I think that's another way that these great expectations can break someone they don't necessarily have to go to the dark side, it could just break them as a hero I mean you look he basically gave up he looks horrible he's wearing sweatpants he's wearing different shoes, he's Getting a free meal from a twelve-year-old, like I mean, I don't know if there's another word for rock bottom that's like lower than rock bottom, but that's pretty much where Peter B. Parker is, and I think that apathy is another way that a hero can break.
1: Yeah, and when we say break, it's obviously mainly always temporary um, because of comics; they're gonna get <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna get their their rise to fame again. Um, but I do, I do like those examples. Um, I don't know, I, I feel like there's, there's potential for a lot more of these and in, in comics where, and where it stays like that for a longer period of time. So it, it'll be interesting to see, and also in, in obviously the movies, seeing them kind of show these characters that they've established, whether in DC or the MCU, um, these characters that they've established, they've kind of done that with Scarlet Witch, but probably not to the to the extent of of what we're talking about of of absolutely hitting rock bottom. So may, maybe it does go that way with Scarlet Witch, but um, yeah, that'll be interesting. I do um, I for think-
0: oh for, for for the fans out there that it, that appreciate my obsession with U.S. Agent, I feel like that was an obvious one that we'll have to flesh out further, but I think it's interesting as much as we crapped all over Falcon winter soldier, we talk about it a lot and it gave us a ton of material to work with. And it's very, it's just a very interesting show to debate because it was pretty controversial, but I think you got to watch him break and then come back right. All in one arc. Now, whether it was a super satisfying arc, not, not a hundred percent, but at least it you watched it. Right. I mean, he, he broke the pressure, broke him. Then, He came back. He almost broke again. You saw his redemptive moment where he was going to go attack Carly, but decided to rescue the hostages, and kind of that's where it made him again. But I think that's a great example, uh, which we'll only go into further with legacy characters. Yeah, Yeah. I
2: think bringing that up is a good point, that there's room for this more in the MCU, and they're starting to explore this. I think bringing up Wanda is a great idea. Uh, As I mentioned, John Walker felt so rushed to me that it was kind of hard for me to get behind that wandavision is great because it showed okay this has been leading up to it for several movies her losing her brother um losing basically everything she has and then losing her husband her family is kind of the final straw breaking her so i think it's there's room for it to be explored and i i hope they do explore it more kind of what you were what you were saying too
1: yeah i agree i do feel that u.s Agent, although a really good example it did feel rushed so there wasn't wasn't enough for me to feel like he was absolutely broken, although the uh, consequences of him being stripped of absolutely everything that that was absolutely. Yeah, that would be rock bottom. For That's rock career.
0: bottom, right? That's got to be worse than not wearing the same shoes and plumbing, plumbing <laughs> money off of a 12 year old.
1: All right. Well, thank you guys for that discussion. That was awesome. Um, we'll continue these these themes as we go on. Uh, just a quick plug check us out on instagram we're gonna come out with kind of something new so something in the works uh and we're we're pretty excited for it so check us out at forge comics um and again thank you guys have a good night bye